those who've graduated from high school or college, and we're excited for what God's plans and purposes are for them. But now we're going to turn to God's word, and we're going to conclude uh, Paul's apostolic prayer that we have been in for, I guess this will now be the sixth week, which is found in Ephesians 3. Paul's prayer actually ended in verse 19, but we can't ever leave a passage like this without giving our attention to the incredible, powerful prayer of praise and doxology that the Apostle Paul speaks in verses 20 and 21. So God helping us this morning, I want to speak to you today on the subject of the God who is able, and our text is Ephesians 3. For the last time, we will be reading verses 14 through 21. I invite you this morning to read in unison with me. Can you do that? Will you do that? Amen. It's, there's a blessing in reading out loud the word of God. Verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, verse 20, the benediction, the doxology. Read it with me. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning. Anoint these lips and anoint the ears of every listener that we might hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. Lord, we're not interested in hearing what Paul Spuler has to say. Speak through these lips of clay so that we might hear what the Holy Spirit has to say and impart to our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, as Christians, one of our favorite expressions is prayer changes things. How many times have we said that in our lifetime? Many, many times. But do you know the reality is Hold your seat. Prayer changes nothing. Now, did I, did I just shock you? 
Some of you are ready to throw me out of this church as a heretic this morning, I am sure. But indulge me for 30 seconds here and think through this, that we can pray until we are blue in the face. We can pray and pray and pray. Nothing will ever change until and unless God steps in. Because only God has the power to change things. I know he works in cooperation with our prayers. The prayers are not what changes things. God changes things. And I'm saying that for a reason this morning. Because sometimes we get so focused on getting answers to our prayers because of the words that we say, because of the promises that we claim, because of the faith that we express. And where's the focus there? It's on us. God, didn't I say the right words? God, I know I had faith. God, I laid hold of the promise in your word and I spoke it. We need to understand this morning that prayer works for one reason. The sovereign hand of the almighty God enters in and reveals his power and his might. So if we want to become effective and powerful in prayer, and that should be every disciple's desire. Lord, I want to become powerful because Jesus said that we need to pray. But when we pray, our focus is not on ourselves. Our focus is on the God who hears and who has the power to do something about what we're praying for. So power in prayer comes from studying the God who has the ability to answer prayer. When we pray, do we really contemplate who God is? You know, I believe there's a reason that the word of God admonishes us to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Because you know what we're doing when we're doing that? We're turning our focus off of ourselves, off of our problems, and onto God. We're, ma we're making him great, not our problems. We're, we're coming to a better understanding when we praise and acknowledge God for who he is and his attributes and his holiness. And, and we could spend all day long talking about the attributes of God that are so worthy of our praise. So very often, instead of our focus being on God, it's really on our problem. Do we really believe what we read this morning? Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we ask or even think. We want to unpack that passage of scripture this morning, God helping us. And I want to suggest that the first three words of this text lays the foundation for us. To him, prayer must always be God-centered and not self-centered. 
And let, let's be honest with ourselves. Most of the time we pray is because we're a needy people. And we know we have a heavenly father who hears prayer and can take care of meeting our needs. But how often do we forget that God, Jesus said, your heavenly father knows what you have need of before you even ask. And the real reason for prayer is that God wants us to grow in our relationship with him, in our understanding of him, so that he, as we, as we open up our hearts to him, he can reveal himself and reveal the dimensions of, as we've been talking about in this passage, the, the breadth and the depth and the length and the height of the love of God and the power of God and the glory of God. And yet as believers, we have such a limited revelation of God. Because prayer is not God-centered, it's self-centered. When we pray, we don't hone in on who we are praying to. We just rush into God's presence, and we're fixated on our little grocery list, aren't we? God, this is, this is, my, this is what's happening today, and this is what I need. Or I woke up, I didn't feel good today, God, so you got to heal me, you got to touch me. And we didn't even observe the protocol of heaven is to enter into his gates. with, Or do we think that's only for Sunday morning? Oh, when I go to church, I need to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. No, 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 no. Anytime you go into the throne room, you're entering into the gates. So you need to thank him. Hasn't he been good? Isn't there anything to thank God for? Hasn't he blessed you? Hasn't he been faithful? Hasn't he given you breath? Isn't there anything worthy for him to be praised so much? So to whom is Paul praying? He is praying to the God who is able. I want you to notice this morning that this verse of Scripture is really like a pyramid. And at the bottom rung, we saw that God is at the very foundation but now it is God who is able. Paul's going to elaborate on who this God is that we're praying to. He's going to help us understand who we're praying to and why we could pray with confidence, why we could pray with joy, why we could pray with the expectancy that what we are asking God for, he's able. He can do what we're asking him to do. He's not only willing to hear our prayer, but he's able to answer our prayer. And I, I needed to ask myself as I was preparing this message, Spuler, how big is your God? When you go to him, do you really, really, sometimes the stresses and the pressures of life are so overwhelming that I, I fall on my knees before God and I'm, it's like I'm crushed under the weight of that burden and I'm so fixated on the weight and I don't see the majesty of almighty God who says, cast your cares on me for I care for you. 
See, this passage is challenging us to get the correct image of who God is, that every time we go into his presence, we recognize that our God is not idle, he's not dead, he's not negligent, he's not unaware. He is a God who is able. He has the capability to take care of whatever it is that I have need of in my life. The reason for that is obvious. And I know it's theology 101, but it's because God's omnipotent. God is all-powerful. God is a God with whom there is nothing impossible. And I was reminded of some wonderful words in the scripture that remind us about the omnipotence of God. Remember Jeremiah's declaration when he was up against an impossible situation. See, when we look through these eyes, the situation is impossible. The diagnosis that the doctor gives tells us that's a death sentence. But do you know who your God is? With him, there is nothing impossible. And Jeremiah, when he was up against it, said, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. There's nothing too hard for you. Can you picture this? Almighty, omnipotent God, on that day of creation, he just spoke with a word, the universe, into existence. And we've been talking about the galaxies and the universe. I mean, it's mind-boggling. It's mind-blowing. How is it possible that there are these bazillions of stars that are so much greater than the planet Earth, galaxies, so much greater than the Milky Way, out there in space where we cannot even see with the strongest telescope, God just spoke it in a word into existence, and it was. That's God. That's who he is. Is he able? Is your need that great that he can't take care of you? Luke 137, the angel tells Mary how she's going to give birth, and she says, how is this possible? I know biology 101, it takes a man and a woman to make a baby, and I don't know a man. And so what the angels say to her, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Isn't that what Jesus testified in Luke 18 and 27? The things which are impossible with man are possible with God. I pray that the Spirit of God is stirring somebody's heart in this church today as you're dealing with some situation that you feel is impossible, that you feel there is no answer to in this earth or on this earth or under this earth. But I want you to know <laughs> there's someone who's above this earth who has the answer and who is able. You know, often when we pray, we get so focused on the external things. God, I, I, I need the miracle of healing. I need the money. I need 
the job, uh, promotion. Uh, I, I need that person to come into my life. You know what God's mostly interested in? Conforming us to his image. And as we look at ourselves in the mirror sometime, we say, hmm. Is God doing the job that he really wants to do in me? Well, he'd like to do it, but if we're not cooperating with him, he's not going to do it because he didn't make us robots. But if we are willing, the word of God is abundantly clear that he is able to perfect that which concerns us. I know I can't in my own strength, I can't in this flesh ever measure up to the man God wants to make me. But he is able to perfect that which concerns me, that which concerns you. Listen to what Paul's heart was for the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 and verse 32. He says, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace that is able to build you up to build you up. They were there on the shores of, uh, was it the Isle of Miletus, uh, weeping because they would never see the Apostle Paul again. But Paul said, even though I'm not going to see your face again, I want you to know that my God is able to build you up. My God is able to strengthen you. My God is able to encourage you. My God is able to put a rod of steel down your back so that you could stand tall and stand strong. I wonder if there's anybody here today who's so discouraged. Your spirit is down. You're downcast. God is speaking to you today, and he's saying that my word and my power is able to build you up to encourage your heart, to lift you out of those doldrums, out of that discouragement, out of that doubt, out of that fear, out of that dismay, and place your feet on the mountaintops. Cause you to run like the gazelle. Not to be cast down, but to run with God. To run with his purposes, to run with his plans, regardless of your circumstances. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound toward you. In the context of this passage, he's talking about money here. Some of us might be saying, God, I can't pay my bills, so I don't know how I'm going to tithe. Well, here's the answer right here. God is able to multiply the dollars that you have and the grace of God will abound toward you so that you will have all sufficiency in all things at all times. You will have an abundance to share for every good work. <laughs> Those of you out there are tithers, can you say amen? that God lets you know he can do more with the 90% that he lets you have than you could ever do with 100% that you would keep for yourself. Someone shared that thought with me last week. I don't know if they're listening by web stream, but boy, that really hit me. That's a good word. We think we need the whole 100%. God says, I'll do so much more with that 90%. 
than you could ever do with that 100% if you withhold that 10% that belongs to me. I especially love Jude's doxology in verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling. This is a word to those who keep stumbling into sin. Wondering, God, am I going to be able to make it? God wants you to know he is able to keep you from falling. You can't keep yourself from falling, but he is able to keep you from falling. And not only that, God says, I'm so sure of what my power can do in your life that I know if you cooperate with me and let me work in you, I'm going to be able to present you before the Father with exceeding great joy. Here, Father, is a trophy of my grace. Ah. Is it too cold in here? Because... Some of you are feeling, looking a little frozen out there. I'm looking for my amen corner today. Are you with me? Yeah, you are you with me, church? Okay, amen. You must know this, that the power of God is not something that is merely hypothetical. It's not theoretical. God is able to do, but he's not like man. You know, sometimes man can talk big, but they don't deliver. <laughs> I, I was reminded of when I was in corporate world, there was, there was this guy that worked for me. He, he was really a beautiful guy, and I, I loved him dearly. I had a beautiful spirit. But he, he would always talk to me about everything that he was going to do. And one day we sat in a review, and we saw all the things that he didn't do even though he said he was going to do them. And I said, John, you, you promised me the sun, the moon, and the stars, and you can't even deliver planet Earth. But I want you to know this morning that God says, I'll not only deliver planet Earth, I'll give you the sun, the moon, and the stars because he is able to do above and beyond all that we could ask or even think. So we want to encourage our hearts this morning. We want to place our faith in God this morning, that there is no burden that God cannot lift. There is no enemy that God cannot defeat. There is no door that God cannot open. There is no need that God cannot meet. There is no problem that God cannot solve. There is no sickness. Did you hear me, saints? There is no sickness that he cannot heal. And there is no sin that he cannot forgive. Oh, I, I, I believe that, but that deserves a shout of praise to God. That's who he is. He's able. He is able. There is nothing that we can be confronted with in our life that God is not able to deal with and do. You know, we love that verse of Scripture because it speaks so clearly concerning the greatness of God's power. But it tells us something else. Not only the greatness of God's power, but the goodness, the goodness of God's power. Because he says, I'm not only able to do what you ask, 
He says, I could do what you even think. The hidden desires of your heart that you don't even know how to articulate. But doesn't the word of God say in Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. God is able to bring them to pass. Yes, even when we don't know how to ask for what it is that's in the depth of our heart. But God knows what it is because he's put that desire there and he's able to fulfill it. I love what A.T. Robertson, a Greek Bible scholar, says about this verse. Our highest aspirations are never beyond God's ability to bestow. He is able to do more. Not just what we ask, but more than all that we ask or even think. The Amplified Bible really helps us with this verse. Translates it this way. He's able to carry out his purpose and to do super abundantly far over and above all that we dare ask or think infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams. That's a verse you need to meditate on. If you walked in this church feeling like, God, I'm dealing with a problem that I, I think I'm going to have to live with the rest of my life, you better know today the devil is a liar. And may the Spirit of God quicken faith in your heart to believe what the Word of God says. And I like the way the King James puts that verse of Scripture, exceedingly abundantly, immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine. So you know who our God is? He's a God of super abundance. There's no limit to what God is able to do. You see what the Apostle Paul is doing in this passage of Scripture? He's, he's reflecting on God. He's getting this revelation of who this God is. And he just does not have the language to begin to describe. So he just keeps piling on superlative after superlative because the Greek language just didn't have the words to express, to describe this awesome God. Here's the passion, passion translation. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. How many of you know that us humans can have some wild imaginations? <laughs> you know, if your vision for what God wants to do is not so impossible, you're not visioning big enough. Because that's who God is. See, we, we pull God down in, into our finitude when God says, you forget that I'm not finite. You're finite, but I'm infinite. 
There, there's, no, there's no understanding of my greatness. There's no ability that the human mind has to comprehend the magnitude and the majesty and the greatness of Almighty God. We get a little glimpse of it when we consider that he spoke the universe into existence. And everything that existed, spoken into existence out of nothing. It takes us a lifetime to build something with something. But God speaks, and it is. You know what that tells me today? <laughs> that in his time, in his way, all he needs to do is speak. Speak the word, and it is done. That's the faith that we need. Of that one in the Gospels who said, Lord, speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Just a word from the Lord. As I read that Passion Translation, I thought, this is amazing. God just wants to blow our minds. <laughs> you know, God delights in that, blowing our minds. That when we even want to begin to describe what God has done, we don't have words because it just exceeds anything that we're able to express. I want you to know today, God's able to fix your marriage. And you know what he does when he fixes your marriage? He gives you a ministry that causes you to minister to those that have troubled marriages. Woman of God, God is able to save your unsaved husband and make him the spiritual head of your home. Moms, dads, grandparents, I want you to know God is able to save your wayward children, restore those that are backslidden, and then raise them up and use them powerfully in his end-time army. God is able to do that. Never stop believing God. And when we pray, let's not pray with the concept, oh God, they're so lost in sin. God, I thank you that you're able to save to the uttermost. You're able to save to the uttermost. Those that are in the guttermost, you're able to raise up and save. You're able to transform. You're able to break the bondages of the evil one. God's able. He's able. Zabel. Hallelujah. Now, notice God is able to do all of this. Why? Because we're spiritual giants? Because we really know the Bible? Because we've memorized verses of scriptures? Or because we've been saints for many, many years and we're finally at a place where we can start seeing the ability of God to do the miraculous and the wonderful. Scripture tells us he's able to do it according to the power that works in us. You know when that power came in? When we gave our hearts to Jesus. Do you know how that power increases? As we continue to walk and talk with Jesus as we cultivate relationship with him. And when we do, there is power that is resident in us. Sometimes we say, God, just break through the heavens. Come down and take care of this. And God is saying to you and to me today that my power is at work in you. Activate it. Activate it. Believe it. 
Trust in it. Claim it. Declare it. God is at work in me. Let me hear you say that. God is at work in me. God is at work in me. His power is at work in me. His, let me hear. His power is at work in me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The supernatural is at work in you, living on the inside of you, working in us even though we're weak. Huh. That's the problem. We keep looking in the mirror, and the devil keeps, you see yourself? We're not supposed to be looking at ourselves. We're supposed to, if we look at ourselves, we see ourselves in Christ, and we are complete in him, and we are hidden with Christ in God. <laughs> yeah, we're weak in this flesh, but we live by the Spirit of God. Let's recognize who we are in Christ and live in the victory. That's why Paul, in spite of all that he went through, in spite of all the persecution, in spite of all the difficulty, in spite of all the harassment of the enemy, he said, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. The greater one, is on the inside of us, weak people, because in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. You know, it's good that we're weak, because it's when we are weak, then we are strong, because we can't depend on ourselves. I walk into this pulpit every Sunday and say, God, I can't do this, but I'm depending on you to do it. Because if it was up to me, I'd fall flat on my face. I'd want this trap door under this pulpit to open and rescue me. It's only by the power of God. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of man. So you don't need to say, Pastor, that was a powerful message because it wasn't me who delivered it. It was God in me. So he gets the praise. He gets the honor. He gets the glory for anything that ministers to your heart today. It's God by the power of his spirit because I know that in me there dwells no good thing. It's only God that can work through us as weak, leaking human vessels. All glory be to God. And as weak people who rely on his strength, we could be so thankful today because he's able. And through his strength and through his might, we can resist sin's powerful temptations. We can live obedient lives. We can witness for Christ. And yes, we can also joyfully suffer Joyfully suffer. Huh. That's what separates the men from the boys. <laughs> Joyfully suffer. I can't even quote verbatim what I posted on Facebook yesterday. But the comment that I made after it was that God calls us to die silently. 
And I have to confess that that's something I've always had a hard time with. Because I'm a melancholy by nature. That's just my personality. It doesn't mean I'm sad. That's just a personality type. You know, there are those joyful, extroverted, outgoing people, always happy, always laughing, always cracking jokes. I'm, I'm just a more somber, withdrawn, quiet kind of a person. That's, that's how God wired me. Some of you know what it's like to be an introvert. You enjoy being alone. That's strange. You know, isn't it strange that God would make a pastor an introvert? I've, I've found a lot of friends who are also pastors that are introverts. God seems to do things in his way for his purpose. So when you see me outgoing, that means God is doing something in me, like standing in, in this pulpit. That's not my natural personality. I always want to, you know, when I was dating my wife, I think I may have told you this story, but she was a pastor's kid, you know. And I always, Kathy told me that someday God's going to punish you because I always like to backseat the church. But when I dated her, the pastor's family sat in the front pew. So that meant if I was going to be accepted in that family, I had to sit on that front pew. That just wasn't my personality. But see, see how God works? I think that was his way of grooming me for what he was calling me to do. I am way off track, and I don't know how I got there today. But God knows what he is doing in our lives, and he's doing it for his honor and for his glory. Suffice it to say that we need to rejoice that it is his power that is making us who he's called us to be. He's changing us from glory unto glory, even as by his spirit. I'm going to jump down here because time is getting away from us. So I just want to recap. In verse 20, Paul's telling us that God is able to answer our biggest prayers. And in verse 21, he's telling us God is worthy to receive our highest praise because the power comes from him. And because the power comes from him, the praise needs to go back to him. You know, we need to remind ourselves that prayer is for the glory of God. We think prayer is so that I could get what I need. But here's the question all of us need to ask ourselves every time we get on our knees. God, am I asking this for you, from you, for my own comfort? Or as James says, to consume it on my own lust? Yeah, I'd love to have a new car. God. You promised me that you'd give me the desires of my heart. That's the desire of my heart, a new car. You're doing that because you want to show off a new car, not bring glory to God. And James says, you're not going to get it if that's the motive. But if our motive is the glory of God. You notice Jesus, when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Was he praying selfishly? As a man, his human nature was resisting the sufferings of the cross. And as a 
man of the spirit who was in connection and relationship with God, he knew the agony of being cut off from his father, so he prayed, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But what was in his heart of hearts? Father, glorify your name. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose came I unto this hour. So, Father, glorify your name. When was the last time, and I'm asking myself, I got down on my knees, and in a moment of suffering, in a moment of heartache, in a moment of deep pain and sorrow, I was able to say, Father, you brought me to this moment for your glory, so I embrace the suffering because I know it's bringing glory to your name. I know we, that's not an amen, that's an ouch. But that's what prayer is all about. And when we're reading this passage of Scripture and the, the apostle by the Spirit is telling us what God is able to do, he's doing it for one reason, for his glory. Did not God say in his word, call upon me in the day, day of trouble? I will deliver you. And what? Why is he going to deliver us? So that you shall glorify me. See, the reason and the purpose for prayer is not getting the deliverance, but getting glory to God. And so the psalmist was able to say, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but your name give glory. Your name give glory because of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. So the Apostle Paul, and we're wrapping this up soon, where and how is God going to get glory? He says he's going to get glory in the church. You see that in the church. You know, typically we would think that God is going to get glory by the church. But the Spirit of God is saying here, he's going to get glory in the church. The church of Jesus Christ and this local expression of the body of Jesus Christ. This is part of the universal church. We're part of the body of Christ. We're, we're just the local expression here at High Street Worship Center. Do you know why we exist? Do we exist to, to fill the pews? Do we exist to pay off the building? Do we exist to build programs so people come in? Do, those are good things, but they're secondary. We exist for the glory of God. We don't exist for any personality to be showcased. We don't exist for any gift to be glorified. We don't exist for any reason but for the glory of God. There's no agenda other than God get glory and honor in and through and by this church. So the question is, when the world looks at the church, of Jesus Christ can they say God is getting glory now, sadly today we're living in a day and age where churches think that they'll attract people with their smoke machines with their strobe lights with their rocking worship team with their programs with their coffee clatches what they need is an encounter with the presence of God and the glory of God that's 
what brings glory to God when people encounter God in a personal way. Not that they go to church and say, oh, we sang some songs and I really felt blessed and the preacher preached a good sermon. I forgot what he said, but it was good. Didn't change me. It didn't affect how I think and act and the decisions I'm going to be making this week. But the glory of God. And then Paul says, it's by the church, in the church, by Christ Jesus. See, the church and Christ are one. Because without Christ, there is no church. Can you imagine how many American churches today that can hardly name the name of Jesus, but they're there saying that they're in church for religious purposes, but God is nowhere to be found. It's only as we are filled with the fullness of God that Christ can be glorified through his church and be exalted. And this exaltation of God is something that the Apostle Paul says it never ends. It doesn't end at 12 o'clock when we walk out of the doors of this church. We still live to the praise, to the honor, and to the glory of his name. We're still the church when we walk outside of these doors because the church is not a building. The church is not four walls. The church is living stones that are filled with the spirit of the living God. Throughout all generations, the apostle says, To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and forever. See, that, that's to be the occupation of our lives. God, how are you going to get glory out of my life? You think you're only giving God glory when you're here on Sunday morning? How's he getting glory on Monday, Blue Monday? He's still on the inside of you. His power is still at work in you. Nothing has changed. You're just in a different ge geography. The Spirit of God hasn't left you. He said, I want to get glory out of your life today. I want to be exalted in and through your life today. And tomorrow and the next day, until the day I call you home. And then through all eternity, that will be our heavenly occupation, bringing glory to God. Didn't the, the hymn writer capture it so well? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, There'll be no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And that praise begins today. God's to be praised regardless of what our circumstances are. God's to be praised no matter what the economy is. God's to be praised regardless of who's in the White House. God's to be praised whether or not your favorite sports team wins. It amazes me how Christians can go into the doldrums when their team loses. Yet they can't come in church and enthusiastically give praise to God who is always worthy because he's always good and he always wins and he always makes us winners. You come to the end of verse 20 and 21 and what else can be said but amen. Can you say it? 
Amen. You know what amen means? It means truly. It means I affirm what the word of God has said. I believe in what the word of God has said. I will live what the word of God has said. What has it said? Have we been able to wrap our minds around the reality that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or even think? I ask you this morning as I close, if that's really, really true, if that is really your reality today, then why are we living like paupers and beggars? Because we don't know how big, how gracious, and how good our God is. I close with this little story that I read about Wilbur Chapman, who was an evangelist in the 20th century. He told this testimony that he once heard in one of his meetings. This brother stood up and he said, I got off at the Pennsylvania Depot as a tramp. And for a year, I begged on the streets for a living. One day, I touched a man on the shoulder, and I said, Hey, mister, can you give me a dime? But as soon as I saw his face, I was so shocked because it was the face of my father. I said, Father, Father, do you know me? Throwing his arms around me and with tears in his eyes, he said, oh, my son, at last I found you. I found you. You want a dime? Everything I have is yours. Think of it. I was a homeless tramp. I stood begging my own father for 10 cents when for 18 years he had been looking for me to give me all that he had. The challenge to our hearts is found in the words of John Newton. You are coming to the king. Large petitions you can bring for his grace and power are such. None can ever ask too much. What do you need from God today? Is it something that you can say, God, I want you to hear this prayer because it's going to bring you great honor and great glory. Let's stand as we close this morning. We're going to sing an old song that some of us who were around back in the 70s and 80s sung very well.